A reading from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Alex, and you may be seated. Jesus says to us today, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. We need to figure out what it means to repent. John the Baptist begins this gospel by proclaiming, saying, bear fruit worthy of repentance. As you think about repentance for you, I bet you're thinking of this as a posture of remorse. Confessing like we just did together here in worship, something that you did wrong or admitting that you feel badly about something that you thought or that you did. Or maybe it's something that you didn't do that you knew you should have done. We think of repentance like a one-time event every week. I repented. I'm done. Now, it certainly can be a posture of remorse, yet I think Jesus is challenging us today to think more broadly. And so Jesus begins by speaking into two events, one where Pilate brutally murdered Galileans, mixing their human blood with the blood of animal sacrifices. Jesus asked, do you think this tragedy was caused because the victims were sinners? Then he speaks of people who were killed in a natural disaster. A tower falls and kills them. Jesus asked, were they worse sinners because they died? Jesus says to us, unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. It was the summer of 1959 at a resort inn in the Sahara, Nevada of Northern California. I had a job that combined being the night desk clerk in the lodge 
and helping with the horse wrangling at the stables. The owner-manager was Swiss with European notions about conditions of employment. He and I did not get along. I thought he was a fascist who wanted peasant employees who knew their place. I was 22, just out of college, and pretty free with my opinions. One week, the employees had been served the same thing for lunch every single day. Two wieners, a mound of sauerkraut, and stale rolls. To compound insult with injury, the cost of the meals was deducted from our paychecks. I was outraged. On Friday night of that awful week, I was at my desk job around 11 p.m., and the night auditor had just come on duty. I went into the kitchen, and I saw a note to the chef to the effect that wieners and sauerkraut were on the employee menu for two more days. That did it. For lack of be a better audience, I unloaded on the night auditor, Sigmund Woolman. I declared that I had had it up to here that I was going to get a plate of wieners and sauerkraut and wake up the owner and throw it at him. Nobody was going to make me eat wieners and sauerkraut for a whole week and then make me pay for it. It was un-American, and I didn't like wieners and sauerkraut enough to eat them one more day, for God's sake. And the whole hotel stunk, and I was packing my bags and heading for Montana, where they have never heard of wieners and sauerkraut. And I wouldn't even feed that stuff to pigs. It was something like that. I raved on in this way for 20 minutes. My monologue was delivered at the top of my lungs, punctuated by blows on the front desk with the fly swatter, the kicking of chairs, and much profanity. As I pitched my fit, Sigmund Woolman sat quietly on his stool, watching me with sorrowful eyes. Put a bloodhound in a suit and tie, and you have Sigmund Woolman. He had good reason to look sorrowful, a survivor of Auschwitz, three years, German Jew, thin, coughed a lot. He liked being alone at the night job. It gave him intellectual space, peace and quiet, and even more, he could go into the kitchen and have a snack whenever he wanted to, all the wieners and sauerkraut that he wished. To him, a feast. More than that, there was no one around to tell him what to do. In Auschwitz, he had dreamed of such a time. The only person he saw at work was me, the nightly disturber of his dream. Our shifts overlapped an hour, and here I was, one man war party at full cry. Listen, Ful Fulcrum, listen to me. You know what's wrong with you? It's not wieners and kraut, and it's not the boss, and it's not the chef, and it's not this job. So what's wrong with me? Fulcrum, you think you know everything. But you don't know the difference between an inconvenience and a problem. If you break your neck, if you have nothing to eat, if your house is on fire, then you have a problem. Everything else is an inconvenience. Life is inconvenient. Life is lumpy. 
learn to separate the inconveniences from the real problems, you'll live longer and not annoy people like me so much. Good night. In a gesture combining dismissal and blessing, he waved me off to bed. Seldom in my life have I been hit between the eyes so hard with truth. There in that late night darkness of a Sierra Nevada inn, Sigmund Woolman simultaneously kissed my butt and opened a window in my mind. For many years now, in times of stress and strain, when something has backed me up against the wall and I'm ready to do something really stupid with my anger, a sorrowful face appears in my mind and asks, Wilson, problem or inconvenience? I think of this as the woman test of reality. Life is lumpy. And a lump in the oatmeal, a lump in the throat, a lump in the breast are not the same lump. One should learn the difference. Good night, Sig. What if repentance means a change of perspective, to see someone or something anew, or as we just heard, Repentance is simultaneously kicking our butt and also opening a window of our mind. What if repentance means trusting that because Jesus has come, God in flesh, and God's kingdom is here, that we will be given people, places, and events for us to see God's love anew? What if repentance means that whatever happens to us, we will not be forsaken or left on our own. We are called back to see what is around us, to receive what we need, and then give us what we are made then to share. Life is so fragile and lumpy. Whether it is an act of unimaginable violence like Jesus speaks of, or death caused by accident, or feeling stressed out because of wieners and kraut for lunch, we get reminded all the time that there is no guarantee in this life. Jesus says, again, unless you repent, you will all perish. Jesus is calling us to live in such a way that we trust what we need will be given to us, yet it's so hard to believe. So we go about this life with our eyes down, focused on ourselves and what we need to somehow have a successful life. But what we miss is the lifting of our heads to see what is right in front of us and what is God is offering us along the way to receive what people give, to learn a new perspective, to listen to a new story, to pivot and see something from another's point of view, to be open to the world around us and where we are being called to join in, to notice, and to discover. Repentance is not something we do just on Sunday mornings, but a way of living each day. Jesus ends his, his teaching with a story about a fig tree because he knows we are created to bear fruit, to contribute, to nourish, to create, to make a difference in this life. 
But this stresses us out because we all of a sudden look and realize maybe I'm not producing fruit or maybe my fruit isn't good enough. Just as that tree is to be cut down because of its lack of production. But then the gardener speaks a word of grace. Give it one more year before you cut down that tree. I'll fertilize it and I will dig into its soil. Give it time to bear fruit. Give it time to take in what is around it to change and to grow. One more year. How do these words come to you as gifts, as grace today? Where do they get finished in the sentence of your life? God, through Jesus Christ, says to wherever you are, one more year. I wonder what will come your way this year. What new perspectives? Who will you meet? What will you learn? Whose story will you enter? God never stops providing the gifts of grace each day, and God never gives up on you. We are never done repenting, learning, changing, growing. I received this card in the mail this week, a quote from Henry Nouwen. We have to choose joy, and then we have to keep choosing it. Fill in the blank for joy. We have to choose blank, and then we have to keep choosing it. Don and Lynn, I wonder what that word is for you today as you shared your story in the mail. I went back to my email a year ago. Confession, I keep all my emails. (laughs) A year ago, we were having one-on-one listening conversation, listening to Mount Olivet, because we wanted to get to know each other and our stories. And just a year ago, the building and grounds team was preparing to give the congregation an update of our work to date. We had no idea a year ago where we would be now or what we would encounter, what we would learn and what connections will be made. A year later, we have rolled out our Be Open vision. Pledges are coming in and we are set to begin renovating our kitchen and north entrance so that we can host a community meal with loaves and fishes and we can make ourselves more accessible and open to the community among us. As a church, we are repenting. We are being open to learning, to connecting with more people, to the community around us, to hear another story and to receive a new perspective, knowing that God is always right there. One more year, where will you be? What will the Mount Olivet trees 